0: This is Dave Iverson, and welcome to the second edition of our new podcast series, Getting to a Cure, the Science Behind the Search. Our focus today is on alpha-synuclein, the sticky protein that can clump together in the brain and elsewhere in the body, leading to the cell death that occurs in Parkinson's disease. For the last 15 years, scientists have been working to gain a better understanding of what goes wrong when this protein follows a biological pathway that leads to Parkinson's. The Michael J. Fox Foundation has played a leading role in trying to untangle this mystery and find a way to stop Parkinson's in its tracks. Dr. Jamie Eberling is a director of research programs at the Foundation and joins us now. Well, Jamie Eberling, welcome. Thanks for being part of this continuing conversation we're having about the science behind the search for a cure for Parkinson's disease.
1: Thanks for having me. My pleasure.
0: So our topic today is alpha-synuclein, something we know is central to the way in which Parkinson's disease develops, And we know that alpha-synuclein is a protein, but I think for many of us, just the concept of proteins is is somewhat confusing. So when we're talking about proteins like alpha-synuclein, tell me something about what that means and and what alpha-synuclein is.
1: Okay, well, I think it's important to understand that the body makes many, many different types of proteins, these chemicals that are made by the body and have a variety of functions. And alpha-synuclein is just one type of protein. And we know that it's found throughout the body, including in the brain. And we don't really understand its function all that well. But we know that there is a normal function of alpha-synuclein. We think in the brain it has something to do with the way the brain cells communicate and um, transport chemicals, but we're not exactly sure precisely of of what the normal role is. We just know that alpha-synuclein is involved in Parkinson's disease, and it's because it's somehow processed abnormally and doesn't function in the normal way anymore.
0: And the other thing we know, uh, Jamie, is that everyone has alpha-synuclein. We always talk about it in relationship to Parkinson's disease, but people who don't have Parkinson's disease have alpha-synuclein as well, correct?
1: That's correct. We all have alpha-synuclein, and as I said, it's found throughout the body. It's in many different tissues, not only in the brain. It's found in the colon, in the salivary glands, in the skin even, but... Everybody has it, it's just that in Parkinson's disease, something goes wrong with it, and the structure of the protein is abnormal.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about that, about what goes wrong with alpha-synuclein in Parkinson's disease, and why we think that's so central to our understanding of the disease and the way in which the disease progresses. We often talk about it as this protein that something goes wrong, it misfolds, it sort of sticks together and clumps up. What actually is happening, and why is that connected to Parkinson's disease?
1: Well, we're not sure exactly what goes wrong. We just know what the result is. And what the result is that you get these clumps of the protein that form in the brain, and specifically they form within the Lewy bodies, which are the pathological hallmark of Parkinson's disease. So we have found that in Lewy bodies, there's this folded up protein that forms these sticky clumps and seem to interfere with the way the brain cells work. And ultimately, those brain cells die.
0: And those sticky clumps, is that a definition of Lewy bodies? And in a sense, a definition, as you put it, the hallmark of Parkinson's?
1: Yes. Uh, we discovered in the late 1990s that the Lewy bodies that we knew uh, occurred in in the Parkinson's brain actually included this abnormal protein alpha-synuclein, this abnormal clumping of the protein. And that was a really big discovery because it suggested an important therapeutic target for Parkinson's disease. And we'll explore
0: what that target is and how we might Wind up being able to do something about those clumps in a moment, but one other question that i 've heard debated sometimes, and maybe there is now a sort of consensus view on that is whether or not those clumps are the problem or they 're a reaction to the problem in other words i 've heard the analogy some might, sometimes made that if there 's a a car accident, the real problem is the crash. But that crash also attracts, you know, uh, flares on the highway and sirens when the police arrive. And so if you're looking at it from a distance, are those clumps the sirens and the police or are those clumps the actual car crash that are causing the problem? Is there a consensus about that now?
1: I don't think there is a consensus yet. You're right. It's possible that what we're seeing is just the end result of a toxic process So that something's happening with alpha-synuclein and it ends up clumped in the Lewy bodies. But it's really what happens earlier that is important for ultimately the cell death.
0: So what does that mean then, if we're still a little unsure about what is actually taking place? Why do we think it's so important to get rid of the clumps? I mean, in a sense, you could say, well, that'd be like getting rid of the, the uh, first responders who show up at an accident.
1: Yeah, and that's only one strategy. So it may not work. But our approach is to look at the different aspects of, of alpha-synuclein. So is it just that there's too much alpha-synuclein and it's so much that it ends up clumped? Is it that the cells can no longer process the alpha-synuclein in a normal way, and it ends up clumped? Is it the clumps that end up ultimately killing the cells, or is it something earlier along in the process? So our approach is to therapeutically develop drugs that can target alpha-synuclein very early in that process, or that can try to get rid of those clumps once they form, so either to... Prevent the clumps from ever forming, or once they form, get rid of them, and see if either strategy could work and help the patients.
0: Let's talk about some uh, about how we arrived at this deeper understanding. You mentioned a moment ago the discovery that alpha synuclein was a key ingredient in those clumps known as Lewy bodies, but there was also a genetic uh, discovery that happened in the late 1990s that was central to this, where we discovered that a a rare uh, gene mutation, uh, specifically the original discovery, as I understand it, was in a family in in Italy. Uh, If you had this gene mutation, it meant that you produced too much alpha-synuclein. Explain more what that discovery was, Jamie, if you would please, and why it was significant on our way to figuring out a way to solve this problem.
1: Yeah, so as you said, there are rare cases of uh, a genetic form of Parkinson's disease, and it has to do with a mutation in the gene that produces the protein alpha-synuclein. And in those cases, the patients produce very high levels of alpha-synuclein in the brain, and this leads ultimately to them developing Parkinson's disease. And that genetic discovery is what led us to discover that the Lewy bodies in non-genetic forms of Parkinson's disease contain that protein. So that was really a key to us, that the the protein has something to do with the actual pathological process and, again, could be an important therapeutic target.
0: And it would seem like the key in this is we're sort of putting two and two together because it's only these rare families that have a gene mutation that produces too much alpha-synuclein. On the other hand, we know that everybody with Parkinson's has these clumps of, of alpha-synuclein. So, we know that alpha-synuclein is key, and is, is the genetics part of it important because that might help us understand a way to get at that? If we could, it gives us, a, a, the genetic mutation gives us one way at least that we might be able to do something about that process?
1: Yeah, so, so this genetic discovery essentially pointed us in the right direction and could ultimately lead to treatments that would help those patients with the, the genetic form but also other patients with uh, different causes of Parkinson's disease that, that may have nothing to do with genetics.
0: So in other words, a, a solution that might be helpful for someone with that gene mutation that somehow managed to lower the amount of alpha-synuclein in someone with that gene mutation, that kind of solution might then also apply more broadly? It gives us a, a cleaner target that could be more broadly applicable?
1: Exactly. So these these genetic targets that may only apply to A small subset of the entire patient population can be very important in pointing us in the right direction to develop treatments that are broadly applicable to all Parkinson's patients, hopefully.
0: So let's talk about some of those solutions, because the exciting thing is that I think for the first time, we now have... In clinical trials, a number of possible ways of of solving this riddle. And one of them is often referred to as a vaccine. And the analogy is made that it's a bit like getting a a flu shot, because what we're trying to do is produce antibodies, only this time, instead of antibodies against some version of the flu, there are antibodies that would fight alpha-synuclein. Tell me something, if you would, Jamie, please, about that approach and how far along we are and knowing whether or not it might work.
1: Yeah, so there are several companies now that are working on this type of treatment. There's, there's really two approaches. One is to get the body to produce its own antibodies against alpha-synuclein, and the other is to actually deliver antibodies against alpha-synuclein. So both are essentially doing the same thing. And they're aimed at clearing these clumps of alpha-synuclein in the Lewy bodies out of the brain.
0: And now might be a good time to also interject the way in which the Michael J. Fox Foundation is trying to encourage this approach, because the foundation has its hands in a number of these approaches, correct?
1: Correct. So we've, we've supported a number of different groups that are working on different ways of targeting alpha-synuclein, including these what we call immunotherapy approaches, so the, the, the ones that use antibodies. We have supported the early therapeutic development of these approaches, and now that several of them are actually being tested in clinical trials, we are advising the companies working on those trials with ways of, um, of designing the trials so that they're most effective, and also in adding biomarkers to those trials so that we can measure whether the therapies are actually working. And we, we also help with recruitment for those trials. So, so we're kind of approaching this and hopefully helping from a number of different angles.
0: We all know that that clinical trial process uh goes on and on that there are several phases to it and it takes many years. So with some of these early immunotherapy approaches, these vaccine antibody producing approaches, how far along are we?
1: Well, right now it's in the early clinical testing. So mostly around determining if these approaches are safe in humans. And I'm happy to say that that the work that's been done so far in the clinic has um, demonstrated that these approaches seem to be quite safe. So that's very good news. We don't yet know if they're going to be effective, and it will take additional clinical testing and, and several years to determine if it looks like these types of therapies can actually work.
0: One of the interesting things that I I read recently, Jamie, was having to do with kind of a booster shot you could get with these um, immunotherapy approaches. Explain that. Why might that be necessary? What was the thinking behind that? And and do we know yet whether or not that's also safe to do, that you can get more than one of these um, antibody treatments?
1: Sure. So if we're trying to get the body to produce antibodies, we don't know how long the body would, would need to produce the antibodies in order for the treatment to be effective. It could be that once you get the body to produce the antibodies, that it continues to produce a level of antibodies that would be um, therapeutic over time. But just like other types of vaccines against other types of diseases, like let's say the measles, the, the treatment, the shot, Isn't good for the lifetime. You have to go in and get a booster so that you continue to generate those antibodies and continue to fight off the disease. And so, one thing that's being tested right now is giving the initial shot and then waiting a period of time, say six months to a year, and giving additional shots to continue to have the body produce those antibodies. So those booster shots are given, and then we measure the level of antibodies in different fluids in the body to see if, if we can get sustained levels over time. And and again, we wanna make sure that giving multiple shots is safe. And so far, what we've seen is, is that it seems to be quite safe, which is very encouraging.
0: Another encouraging thing, uh, report that I read was that among, uh, I think it was something like 40 to 50 percent of the people who had participated in this early trial didn't need to increase further their symptomatic medication, taking the dopamine replacement drugs that we all take when we have Parkinson's. Obviously, far too soon to know whether or not that's definitive, but that would also be sort of an encouraging hint, would it not?
1: It would be an encouraging hint, but I, I think we need to be very cautious at this point. The early clinical testing is done in an unblinded way. So the patients know that they're getting the treatment. I see. And so do the doctors. And we know that in these types of trials, there's a very large placebo effect. So people feel like they're getting better, even though they may not be getting better. And it really takes a a larger controlled trial where some of the patients get the treatment and some of them get a placebo, and then you compare those groups in order to determine if a drug is really working.
0: No, it's really an important um, and appropriate cautionary um, note, I think, because we all are so eager for good news that sometimes that can um, perhaps bias um, uh, both the experience of people in the trials as, as well as what the rest of us would like to would like to read, you know, we've, we've talked some about the antibody approaches, but there are others too. You were saying earlier, we really don't know if the problem is the clump or the problem is on our way to the clump or too much of alpha-synuclein. So describe a couple of the other approaches, because there's some that would would work to, in a more preventative uh, capacity. Is, is that right?
1: Yeah. So there are approaches that are aimed at preventing the clumps from forming altogether, And one way of doing that may be to get the cells just to produce less alpha-synuclein. So the thought is that if a cell is producing too much alpha-synuclein, it's beyond the capacity of that cell to handle the the protein and to get rid of it. So the cells have to not only make alpha-synuclein, they also have to clear it because there's going to be more alpha-synuclein continuously being made. So, so one approach is just to get the cells to make less alpha-synuclein, and these are sort of genetic approaches where different types of genetic manipulations can cause the cell to produce less of the alpha-synuclein. Then there are other ways of getting the cell to more efficiently clear the alpha-synuclein. So while the same amount of alpha-synuclein is being made, the cell can handle it better and get rid of it better, sort of like a garbage disposal, get the garbage disposal to work better. So these are these types of approaches, as I said, are aimed at preventing the formation of those Lewy bodies ever. And, and that's a, a, another approach that we don't know if it's going to work, but there are several groups that are that are working on these types of approaches that are beginning clinical testing.
0: I'm interested in your perspective on this as a scientist, someone who has been working on these problems for a long time, trying to figure out a way to slow the progression of Parkinson's disease. As we all know, we have good symptomatic treatment by and large, but we've never been able to come up with something that would actually slow down or ideally halt the progression of the disease. So I'm interested, Jamie, in in your perspective on this, as someone who has been working on various solutions for a long time, how significant is it that we now have four or five of these approaches actually being tested clinically?
1: I mean, from my perspective, this is the most hopeful time in therapeutic development for Parkinson's disease. This seems so key to the actual pathological process. It makes so much sense that that somehow getting rid of these clumps of alpha-synuclein or preventing the formation has to have something to do with the progression of the disease. So from my perspective, I think it's an incredibly exciting time. And the fact that we have multiple companies working in this area and from multiple different angles, it seems like it's so much more likely that something is going to work.
0: I want to go next to an area in which I know the Michael J. Fox Foundation is also trying to play a, a significant role, and that's just something you alluded to earlier, which is the importance of finding a biomarker, a way to actually measure what's going on with alpha-synuclein inside the body and inside the brain. So let's start with the problem first. We can't see alpha-synuclein right now until after someone passes away and you do an autopsy and you're able to section the brain and find those Lewy body clumps. So what's the challenge right now? Why aren't we able to see alpha-synuclein? What is it that we need to try to be able to do?
1: Well, you're exactly right. At this point in time, we only know that patients have Lewy bodies in their brain after they've passed away, and we can actually look in the brain. There's no way of visualizing that those clumps of alpha-synuclein in the living brain. And so we need to find a way of determining if, if we have a therapy that's, that's trying to get rid of those Lewy bodies or lower levels of alpha-synuclein, that the therapy is actually working. Right now, all we have is look at the patient and see if the patient's getting better. But that's a fairly crude way of measuring if the therapy's working. We would prefer a a more direct measure. And the more direct measure would be a way of visualizing the distribution of alpha-synuclein in the brain and the distribution of those Lewy bodies in the brain. So the way that, that we're trying to do this is to develop an imaging tracer So this is a way of using what we call PET scan. It's a a brain imaging technique that would enable us to actually see alpha-synuclein in the living brain in a brain scan. And we're working on trying to develop this approach. It's, It's proving to be quite challenging, but we've been encouraged by the Alzheimer's field because they've developed a similar technique that allows them to visualize a protein that is abnormally processed in Alzheimer's disease called beta amyloid, they can actually do a brain scan and see the the clumps of beta amyloid in the brain. And this has been incredibly important for the development of therapies for Alzheimer's disease that are targeting this protein. They can actually see if the, the therapies are working by looking at the levels of beta amyloid in the brain before treatment, and after treatment, and seeing if they go down. We wanna be able to do that with alpha-synuclein. So we'd wanna be able to give the patient a brain scan before treatment, see where the alpha-synuclein is in the brain, and then after treatment, give a second brain scan and see if those levels have been reduced.
0: Without getting too deep in the scientific challenges involved, Jamie, I'm curious about why it's so hard. It would seem to me that if, Alzheimer's. the Alzheimer's scientists have figured this out and they can scan and see their sticky protein, beta amyloid, that it shouldn't be that hard to adapt that technology so that we can see our sticky protein, alpha-synuclein. What's, what's so difficult about that?
1: Well, it, for one, it, was, it took a long time to develop the beta amyloid imaging technique. The advantage with beta amyloid is that there's just simply much more of it in the brain. Huh. It, it's easier to target because of the, the just the sheer amount of it. Um, the, these brain scans are, are very noisy. So if you if you look at the brain scan and you're looking for beta amyloid in the brain, you're probably also seeing a mixture of other stuff. And the more beta amyloid you have the higher the signal for the beta amyloid over the other stuff is. With alpha-synuclein, there's there's far less of it in the brain. So you have to have a much more sensitive technique. Um, The other challenge is that with beta amyloid, the clumps form outside of the cells. So it's easier to target the protein when it's outside of the cells than when it's in the cells. And in order to... To target the protein, you have to get this tracer that we're developing not only into the brain but into the cells. So there are challenges for alpha-synuclein that are beyond the challenges for beta-amyloid.
0: It's fascinating. It, it, it just seems like, wouldn't it be our luck that we have such a, a difficult protein to damage uh, t- an and scan in, in Parkinson's? But add to that, if you would, Jamie, about some of the novel ways in which the foundation is trying to encourage the discovery of, of that imaging agent. You mentioned the consortium before. Um, describe more about that. And there's also, you've also put some money on the table, a prize for whoever can find this.
1: Yeah, so so we are supporting several groups who are working on developing a pet tracer, including a consortium that we put together a few years ago, and they've been working on this um, since around 2011. So a bit of time, but they are making progress. We're also supporting a couple industry groups that are working on developing a tracer, as well as a couple academic groups. So we're, we're supporting a lot of research in this area. But just a few months ago, we announced what we're calling the alpha synuclein Imaging Prize. And I'm very excited about this. The foundation is actually offering a cash prize to the first group to develop an effective alpha synuclein pet tracer. And the prize is $2 million. It's unrestricted. The winner can spend that money however they see fit. But we, we did this to provide incentive to the field to work on this and to hopefully get some people who haven't previously been working on this to get interested. And, and I know that this is, has been effective so far. I've, I've actually spoken to a number of research groups who weren't working on developing alpha-synuclein PET tracers, and now they're working on it. So we're just hoping that somebody wins and that somebody wins soon.
0: Exactly, and in some ways it's also quite consistent with the overall philosophy of the foundation, which is to make all this easier. I mean, to really try to get the, the money, the tools, the background, the support out there so that people are interested um, and encouraged and, and we, in a sense, make the pursuit of Parkinson's attractive.
1: Yeah, I think so, and, and another important point here is we are offering this this prize to the first group to develop this tracer. But one of the conditions of winning the prize is they have to make the tracer available so that it can be used widely by Parkinson's researchers and ultimately in clinical trials.
0: Let's uh, talk briefly also about why the imaging agent is so important. You mentioned that it's important, of course, in terms of a, from a diagnosis standpoint perhaps or a treatment standpoint to measure whether or not the the treatment that we're giving people is actually working do those clumps lessen do they disappear in in some way but i would also think it would be really important for in the overall clinical trial process so that you make sure that the people who are participating in these trials actually have clumps going on because it's been this long-term problem in Parkinson's without adequate biomarkers that sometimes we wind up with people in the trials who seem like they have Parkinson's, but they might not. We know that there's a broad continuum of of ways in which Parkinson's can develop. Some people have atypical Parkinson's. Some people have conditions that look like Parkinson's, but they actually don't have uh, alpha-synuclein. They have another uh, protein that's going on. So this is also a way of making sure that we're testing our treatments on the right people.
1: Yeah, and this is really important, especially if you're talking about earlier stages of the disease, the diagnosis is less certain, and we wouldn't want to enroll patients in a Parkinson's disease clinical trial if they don't actually have Parkinson's disease and don't actually have these clumps of alpha-synuclein in the brain. And again, we can learn from the Alzheimer's field because we know that some of the the early antibody clinical trials in Alzheimer's disease Actually, included patients up to thirty percent of the patients in the trials did not have Alzheimer's disease. Um, if you looked at the the brain scans, they didn't have the clumps of beta amyloid in their brain, and that's going to make it much more difficult to prove that a treatment is effective if you're if you're treating people who don't even have the disease. So this PET tracer could be used not only as a way of determining if a therapy is effective but also just making sure that the patients that you're including in the trial are the right patients and actually have the disease.
0: As we begin to wrap up our conversation, Jamie, one thing that I'm wondering about references in some ways what we talked about earlier, which is what we know about whether or not these clumps are are really the enemy or not. And that brings me to want to ask that if we dissolve the clumps, if we have an imaging agent that shows that the clumps are going away, that doesn't necessarily mean that people will get better, right? So how do we, in, in that sense, what do we know about that, if, or do we know yet, whether or not by removing the clumps or preventing them from ever occurring, whether or not that will translate to actual symptomatic improvement?
1: Yeah, I don't think we do know that yet. Um, It makes sense to us that it would lead to symptomatic improvement, but that's something that remains to be seen in the clinic. What we know from preclinical studies is that it seems to be that if you remove the clumps, you can have an effect on symptoms and that that there is an improvement. So I think preclinical studies encourage us, but uh, we really won't know the answer until this is tested in the clinic, in the patient's.
0: And is this one more area, too, where some of the Alzheimer's work is encouraging that in that work where they've been able to image, uh, because they can image what's going on in the brain, and they've seen in some of their early clinical trials now, they may have an agent that uh, or a treatment that will reduce those clumps, that those people also experience some symptomatic improvement, as I understand it. So that's also potentially encouraging.
1: Yeah, this is, it's still early days. These are still fairly early trials. And there's some evidence that in patients where you can show a reduction in the, the beta amyloid clumps in the brain, that their symptoms seem to also be improving. So that's very encouraging. Uh, one complication in, in Alzheimer's disease is that they have a couple of proteins that clump up in the brain, so it may be that, that getting rid of just the beta amyloid isn't enough, but that remains to be seen. But, yeah, it's the same sort of process in these different diseases, these different neurodegenerative diseases. Protein clumps up, and it se- seems to make it so that the cells don't function as well anymore. And it makes sense that if you can prevent those clumps, that it would have a beneficial effect on the symptoms.
0: And finally, Jamie, let's spend a moment on what people can do within the patient community to encourage progress in this arena. We still need people, we always do, to participate in in clinical trials. So are there clinical trials that either are ongoing now or will be starting soon, that provide opportunities for people to participate.
1: Yeah, there's, there's always new trials that are getting started, and we always need patients and control subjects in some cases to participate in these trials. So we've actually developed a tool called Fox Trial Finder, it's sort of like match.com for clinical trials. You can go on to the, the Fox Trial Finder website, put in your information about where you live, what kind of symptoms you have, what kind of trials you might be interested in. And it will give you sort of a menu of trials that are open and enrolling And patients who are interested in participating can connect with those trials in that way and sign up to participate. But we're always looking for for patients to participate in these trials because without getting the patients in the trials, we can't test the therapies effectively and and determine if they actually work or not.
0: And finally, Jamie, again, as someone who has dedicated a large portion of your scientific career to working on some of these problems— I'm just curious about your level of hopefulness you know, at this point. You and your, your other colleagues at the foundation, you said earlier we're, we've got more going on than we ever have. Does it leave you then with not only just a sort of natural optimism, but a realistic sense that we can get there?
1: Yeah, I, I do think that I've been working in this area for over 20 years. I am the most encouraged that I ever have been. And especially by these alpha-synuclein therapeutics, because, again, this this protein seems to be such a key player in the disease that it just makes sense that it's a great target and that if we can target it effectively with different types of therapies, that we could really get to the finish line and not only develop a therapy that treats symptoms, but that actually could slow or stop the disease process and, and in that way, provide a cure for the disease.
0: Well, Dr. Jamie Eberling, it's been a pleasure, as always, uh, speaking with you. Thank you, and thank you for the work that you and your colleagues are doing at the Foundation.
1: Thank you, Dave.
0: That was Dr. Jamie Eberling, Director of Research Programs at the Michael J. Fox Foundation. In our next edition of Getting to a Cure, the Science Behind the Search, we'll explore how a mutation in the gene GBA plays a role in the development of Parkinson's and may also point the way to new treatment options. I'm Dave Iverson. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.